0: The William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. It's Colefield and Company. Pearson guides it to the neutral zone. Here's JT Miller, link wide right. Henderson sends it in front. Score! Pearson finishes it off. Breaks and skates top of the left
1: circle. Sets up Ekman Larson. Put it in front, they score! Oliver Ekman Larson gets assist of the day put it out in front for Elias Pettersson
0: and Pettersson has himself a multi-point performance as well first a turnover by the Knights and a goal it is scored by Pettersson a giveaway by the Knights Martinez thought he had an opening to just rifle it up the left boards but it was knocked down and Vancouver scores eight
2: seconds into the power play 5-1 Canucks
0: It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Five o'clock hours here. Silver Sevens, Flamingo, and Paradise. Come on down. Happy hour going right now at both of the bars. 277 on a lot of the drinks and the games are up. Major League Baseball opening day. We'll get to that. During the Big Five, Tiger Woods, one under, four off the pace. Leader is at five under. Um, I was joking earlier, Tiger Woods at 30 to one. Probably not a good bet at this juncture to win the tournament, Candy.
3: That is correct information. Now, 30 to one when would be the question. 30 to one pre tournament would have been a terrible number considering. We didn't even know if we would make it through a round, and 40 was a very common number on the board, uh, including much higher earlier in the week.
1: Right. 30-1, to if I'm reading it correctly right now, at William Hill. But it was 80-1 to a while back. Right. And and maybe longer than that, and even further
0: a while back. Big Five time. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents The Big Five at Five, number five.
1: So, you know, when you're out at practice at uh, Running Rebels, UNLV football, sometimes they'll bring out some of their past players, right? Kevin Krueger did that a lot around the uh, the men's basketball program, and today Marcus Arroyo had uh, Johnny Stanton out to talk to the guys, watch practice. Johnny is with the Browns. Quite a story. And the guy was a quarterback at Nebraska, eventually came to UNLV, played some quarterback, also played some linebacker, and he's made a position switch to the point where he's looks like he's got a, a solid career here in the National Football League with the Browns. Um, if you see him now, Candy, I don't know if you saw the picture we posted up on ESPN Las Vegas, a Twitter account. He doesn't look like a quarterback anymore. And uh, the mitts. I don't know. I, you know, I said I was never going to shake hands again, but I get sucked into it. And I put my hand out, and I'm like, okay, that's enough of this. He just one of those hand crushers, right? Just the, the big mitts. So... We had a chance to talk to him about switching from quarterback in college to tight end in the NFL. We're going to play some audio here in a second. Armani Rogers, a former UNLV quarterback, is trying to do the same. Armani left UNLV when Marcus Arroyo came on the scene and landed at Ohio. Um, by the way, in the NFL right now, Taysom Hill is going to try to play tight end, which I don't think is that easy. But on the subject of spring ball, as you're trying to get work done here with your 14 or 15 practices, uh, Johnny Stanton talked about talking to the guys, the current Rebels and you know about what you have to get
4: done the focus you need during spring practice i told him that uh spring ball is a grind you know it, it's something that i i forgot because in the nfl like you know ota is, is absolutely a grind as well but it's it's so much uh, different schedule, and you really get—you know—these guys get after it, and these guys are in pads already. They're in pads for a long time, so um, you got to keep after it with the grind. But you also got to keep yourself accountable, and you got to keep your teammates accountable because you're trying to build up as a team, not just as an individual. So that's why I try to tell them. So I told them that I love the energy of practice, I love the competition, um, but it's all about building each other up.
1: Yeah, I often wonder um, if players—I haven't—I mean, I'm not out there all the time, so I don't see every moment of practice, but. I wonder what the focus is, like how hard it is to, to focus when, you know, games are a ways off. Now that all said, most of the guys on the team are competing for playing time. There's only, there's only you know, a handful of guys who are absolutely set at their position. So I, I wouldn't squander the opportunity to be, you know, ready to go for these 15 practices. Now Armani Rogers, as we said, is trying to make a run at tight end from quarterback. He's a guy at Ohio who uh, got a little bit of time at quarterback. He played a lot of quarterback here. Um, has the size of, you know, 6'5", 235 pounds. And Johnny Stanton talked about his transition and what he thinks about Armani trying to play tight end.
4: It's about that attitude. It's about the aggression and making sure that, you're, that you work your technique. You know, you're – Whenever I was going through my pro day workouts or training with their, like you know a tight ends coach, it's it's easy to do the drills. It's a lot different when you get the pads on and do it in front of somebody. Luckily, he already has that you know the experience of doing that already in uh, one of his senior games. So I'm really glad that he was able to get that done. I, uh, I heard that he performed great over at the UCLA pro day. You kind of went deep dive the last time we talked about
1: tight ends and, and the hands and the switch from quarterback. Can you explain that again? Like you know what a chance? Yeah, one is. of the
4: things that Armani is definitely going to have to work on. Something I I'm still working on that I definitely had to learn was that the quarterback position is the only one besides, you know, kicker and punter that you don't really have to do that punch motion, uh, that two handed punch where you're trying to just like beat the other guy in the chest. Every other position on the field does it and tight end, you know, especially so so that's something that um, is definitely a learning curve that he's going to be, he's going to get good at, I promise that he's going to get very good at it, but it's something that is hard to get, get good at technique and hard, even harder to be able to put it into well, good practice on the field Against a guy, another guy, you know, who's a, uh, you know, getting paid to play football too. The punch, Candy. The punch.
3: I've been working on this one for so long. He's still haven't made the transition yeah. though. Well, I'm I'm trying, but it doesn't seem to get through to Ari. Like the when you're a radio host, you need to have that two hand punch to get through to the producer, like, hey, get it together. Come on.
1: It's All not right. working. As we've, uh, as we've told the stories before, actually, kind of true stories in the past at Lotus Broadcasting at times, right, Ari? <laughs> Nothing, nothing's gotten physical with Cofield and Company yet and all the time, at least not within the show. I think we've had people get physical from outside the show. Maybe didn't have the punch in place correctly. Got to work on that. Ari's like, hands off. I already put my uh, foot in my mouth multiple times with the boss listening yesterday. All right, let's move on. Number four. Man, I don't know what's going on with Kyrie Irving. He's a strange dude. We're talking what? Because of the COVID stuff. He only played 27 games this year to this point. There seems to be issues with several of the Nets. I'll just say Kyrie and and KD with fans. This is a weird set of post-game bites. So Kyrie apparently got mad at someone. Then went after the wrong fan. He tries to explain here what happened.
2: East Coast basketball. At its finest,
3: you know, people just yelling random shit from the crowd. One reaction, they got one. I think I tapped the wrong person. So I apologize to the random guy that I tapped. You
2: know, he looked at me uh, with a big surprise on his face. <laughs> a surprising look on his face. So I, didn't, I didn't mean to tap him, but somebody said something. I was just, just, I was just fed up with our performance. And
3: I've dealt with kind of this East Coast type of attitude in in games since I was, you know,
2: seven, eight years old. So I've I've been in the trenches, as they would say.
1: Wait, so you've been in the trenches, but you're still getting upset. Do you know what's going on here, Candy?
3: No more than I ever know what's going on with Kyrie Irving. Uh, Right now, I look at the situation and say, this Nets team, Kyrie and KD at the top of the list, man, are they sensitive. Man, do they seem to let everything get to them. You think New York is the city where you put that noise out. But Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving especially don't seem to be able to do it. If you see the video of this, Kyrie is halfway down the tunnel and turns back around to come out and confront this guy. Oh, by the way, it's the wrong guy. So if you're Kyrie Irving after this year in particular, you're not ready for people to be talking smack to you? This year, when you have set yourself up as a cultural lightning rod and as the lightning rod for Nets fans who've been paying for season tickets all year on the idea that they would get to see you play, (laughs) and not only do they not see you play, they watched you and your circus be part of what drives James James Harden away. And also, if I'm that guy that he taps on the shoulder, Cofield, that dude wasn't surprised. You know what that dude was saying? Yo, yo, ho, get that COVID away from me. You're not vaccinated.
0: Being a Jersey kid, not getting respect from New York basketball until um, you know, I just stopped giving a, a f about what their opinion was, and I just started repping the best way I knew how. So
1: I stopped giving an f, except I do give an f. I, I don't like he actually he talked him into the correct attitude. He talked himself into the correct attitude, like as Candy just said. You have to know this is coming. You know the area. Come on, man. As as fellow uh, New Jersey and New York guys, you're embarrassing us. Come on, Kyrie. Right, tough guy, Candy.
3: I I can't add to that. What do you want? Me, what do, what, <laughs> what do you want from me, huh? What do you want from me? You want you want me to talk to Kyrie Irving and talk some sense into this guy? Forget about it. You don't know nothing.
4: Number three.
1: Candy, this is right up your alley. Uh, saw the story last week talking about maybe things are progressing faster than we thought in California when it comes to sports gambling. Is this true?
3: No. Uh, And and, uh, I know the story that you're referencing. Uh, Politico talked about the potential holy grail of California being open to sports betting. Look, here's what you need to know. If you're someone from California or you make a lot of trips to California, uh, it's not going to be this year. It's probably not going to be next year. And if it is next year, chances are what you're going to have next year is the ability to go to an Indian casino and place a bet in person. Because what's going to happen the rest of the year is there's going to be a fight into which we already know has been pledged $200 million just in advertising fights between tribal gaming interests, between big sports books, poker uh, card rooms, on and on and on. It's going to be a big fight. For ballot initiatives They're trying to get sports betting on the ballot One's already on the ballot There might be as many as four different versions Of what sports betting in California could look like That make the ballot this year But the fight has already started on TV Because you have to qualify those initiatives By January, or excuse me, by June You need close to a million qualified signatures So now They're putting out ads trying to essentially get people not to sign certain initiatives so that they don't make the ballot. So, yes, California, if it ever opens, will be the holy grail for for sports betting. But right now, it is a long, long way off.
1: And then the other problem is when the initiatives make the ballot, can you understand them? Because there's a whole game in, in terms of how they're written to the point where they're so confusing you may vote in the wrong
3: direction. You may have multiple of them pass. You may have none of them pass. If you have three of them make the ballot, you're not gonna understand the differences in what you're voting for. The tribal one, you can only play uh, sports bets, play sports bet in person for five years, mobile considered after that. One is mobile immediately. One is mobile, but only through certain entities like teams and, and race tracks. And when you talk about $200 million of advertising going into it, the most likely outcome of that is that none of them pass because everything is so negative against all of them on the TV airwaves.
0: Number two.
1: New Californian, well he's from there but uh, now he's playing for a California team. Freddie Freeman no longer with the Braves we got opening day around Major League Baseball and we get a little information on what the Braves used to be like with Freeman and uh, Acuna?
3: Oh man I love these stories. If it's opening day you know what I want? I want stories of old white guys fighting against the new generation of baseball players. Oh, no. Oh, Please tell me, is,
1: is, was Freeman part of the Braves oh, yeah. play the game the right way? Because the Braves oh, and the Cardinals are notorious for that nonsense.
3: Oh, hey, hey. Don't you short Brian McCann. Don't you short the OG of play the game the right way, the guy who stood in front of home plate and tried to block a guy from coming across because he wasn't playing the game the right way. Ronald Acuna Jr., only the best player in baseball, when healthy, uh, was asked, do you miss Freddie Freeman? Do you miss that he left? <laughs> and he said, no. you talking to me? No. Wow. <laughs> I don't miss him at all. And they're like, well, why? Well, what?" They're like, you know, do you, you know, you miss, you know, sharing, you know, being a teammate with him, being close to him. That he's like, well, if you mean being close to him like we were in the same stadium, then, yeah, the, you know, then we were, you know, then we were close. But basically, Ronald Acuna Jr. talked about how when he first came up, talked about how he wore his clothes, how he wore his eye black, etc., etc. that some of the older veterans, including Freddie Freeman, didn't like it. And not only did they not like it and tell him about it, they sat him down in a room and they physically wiped the eye black off him. because they didn't like the way that he was wearing it. And Ronald Acuna Jr. basically came out this week and said, You know what? Now I do it the way I want to do it. And you know what? Good for him. Good for him. Good for Fernando Tatis Jr. Good for Yasiel Puig flipping bats. We need this in the game of baseball. It needs energy. It needs youth. It needs to reflect the broader culture that's out there get with it and let these things happen so yeah if if we've got the old guard freddie freemans and brian mccann still trying to get guys like ronald acuna jr the best player in baseball to play the right way i don't care how he wears his eye black if he does what he's been doing at this part of his career number one
1: you think there's anyone in the VGK locker room judging others about how they dress, how they prep, what their look is right now? Can you imagine? Not the if way they can playing? score. <laughs> <laughs> right? At this point, do anything you want. 5-1. Last night, they lose at the Fortress to the Canucks. It sounded like a morgue, right? I mean, what kind of energy can you have in the in the third period as things are completely unraveling?
3: No, and, and I'm going to tell you what, Cofield, uh, it's... We've talked a lot about the crowds this year. I've been one to talk about how the crowds haven't looked the same, how they haven't been uh, as full up. Uh, Someone else in the press box last night told me that at Puck Drop that the cheapest ticket available on the VGK ticket exchange, their own ticket exchange, was $19. Now, that's obviously pretty cheap, but I will say the building was more full to the naked eye than I think I had seen it For the last few home games and that crowd had energy they were into it five game winning streak we are ready to rock jack eichel scores early on everybody's stoked and then the air just came completely out of the place two goals in 17 seconds for the vancouver canucks in the first period and they dominated the rest of the way i left with about six minutes left in a 5-1 game and i will tell you what i fought more traffic leaving with six minutes left than I usually would if I go early in the third period.
1: What were the mental mistakes you saw from the uh, the Golden Knights?
3: I mean, it was over and over again, Cofield. Over and over again. Let's start with the penalty that Ben Hutton took that put Vancouver on its first power play. Uh, that got them started. Then you have a giveaway in the zone by Alex Martinez that leads to goal number two. Uh, on the third goal, Keegan Colasar, usually a, an energy kind of guy for the Golden Knights. You want to talk about a half-hearted back check. Uh, it, it led to the three-on-two that ended up producing a goal for Vancouver. I mean, it, he just did not get back with anything looking like the speed or effort that the Golden Knights needed, which when you're playing back-to-back sort of night after night, sure, that's one thing. But the Golden Knights hadn't played since Sunday uh, before last night. And Eichel himself. Eichel completely lost Pedersen on that fourth goal. Uh, I went back and watched it again because I thought to myself, how did Ekman Larson end up with a pass to a guy standing like cherry-picking playing pickup basketball at the 24-hour fitness like, Yo, I'm open! Yeah, because he never got back on defense. No, this was how open Pedersen was in front of the net because Jack Eichel was just late tracking him. So over and over again, these mistakes by the Golden Knights, they led to them losing 5-1. to one. And the thing you have to remember about them right now is they are a team that can't score. They have to win with defense. And if they play that poorly defensively, that's exactly what's going to happen to them.
1: Pete DeBoer afterwards just said
2: unacceptable you, know, you just want to flush it i mean uh, nothing really good to say we got what we deserved i didn't think we gave ourselves a chance to win that game you know right from the first period the way the the game started and uh yeah it's disappointing but um you know we've played some pretty good hockey lately and we've got a rebound here quickly we knew we weren't going to win every game the rest of the way in so uh we dropped an opportunity tonight we got a Get back and make sure we get this back on track on Saturday,
1: Candy. Do you think DeBoer has handled the downtimes this season well with the media? You know, versus say uh, Gerard Gallant, who really got kind of frayed.
3: Yeah, and, and you know what? I think the, to give the VGK media staff some credit. When they saw that DeBoer was kind of headed that way last night, they called an end to that press conference. You know, you could see the couple of questions at the end started to get to DeBoer just a little bit. Now, also, DeBoer's buttons with the team, I thought it was interesting that he took this sort of casual-ish approach last night with, yep, got to flush it, got to let it go, because when they played Seattle a little more than a week ago and they had that slow start in the first period, The TNT postgame show talked to Alec Martinez and basically said, yeah, you guys had a real slow start, and then, you know, the second, third period, you look different. Like, what happened? He said, well, you know, Pete got after us pretty good in the locker room between the first period and the second period. So it seems like DeBoer has already maybe worn out the whole turn it over the trash cans approach, and now has to just sort of maybe try a little more of the hands-off approach. He's doing everything he can to try to find what's right for this team. The problem is right now, you're running out of time.
0: It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Way out there with it. Now goes behind the pick. Here comes another three,
1: and he's got another one, and he's got 30 on the night.
0: Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Colefield and Company. Trey
1: Young highlight there. 30 points. Hawks win it, 118-103 against the Wizards. Would you know offhand how many games this year Trey Young has played in?
3: Offhand, my guess would be between forty and forty-five. What total? Yeah, I he's thought played he's, been hurt. St- he's played seventy-four. I Thought he was hurt for a longer stretch yeah. than that.
1: Yeah, I wasn't trying to get you, but I was trying to illustrate the point that when he's you know when he's had the chance to be out there, he's out there. Um, there is no load management. I'm not an anti-load management guy, and I do think that, especially with older players, you got to watch when guys have nagging injuries. But I completely understand the other side of this, Candy, that people are paying to see the product. And on any given night, you know, you're buying the tickets way ahead of time. You could be screwed and not see your star player or players from the opposition out there. And the last thing you want to hear is, well, that's smart basketball. Yeah, but I want to, I paid to see a certain show, and now I'm not saying, it. well, like, are you really a fan of your team? Like, yeah, I am, but I paid to see – So-and-so. So, So, I do think it's a problem. Where are you on this?
3: This is where the game goes from science and athletics to entertainment, right? Because the powers that be are worried about entertainment. They're worried about it's an entertainment product and fans are saying we're not entertained. And that's all well and good until we reach the level of human performance that we've reached when it comes to maximizing rest and nutrition and making sure that the health of players is taken care of down to literally tracking their sleep and tracking their meals and making sure that they have everything they need 24 hours a day. So if you're on the athletic side of it, you say, I'm going to rest my players anytime I need to rest my players. But on the other side of it, you're very honestly and earnestly saying, Yeah, it's an entertainment product, and we're trying to put the best product out there every night, and you're not letting us.
1: Adam Silver is in a really difficult position. Here he is uh, talking about the search for solutions to get the stars out there.
5: Greater concern to me is a trend of star players not participating in a full complement of games. I think that's something we, together with the Player Association, need to address. Part of the issue is injuries and one of the things we have begun to spend a lot of time on pre-pandemic, are there things that we can do in terms of sharing information, resources around the league to improve best practices, rehabilitation, et cetera.
1: Those all sound good. I don't know that that works, Uh, keep going, Silver.
5: The other way we can get at it in terms of player participation is creating other incentives. Play-in tournament, I thought, was a beginning of creating renewed incentives for teams to remain competitive and be fighting for playoff position. It may be through in-season tournaments and changes in format where we can get at it. Less games?
1: I don't think that'll fix it. I think you could go to you could cut twenty games off the season. You have a sixty-two game season. Guys would still try to rest, you know, 15 percent of the time.
3: You're not coming anywhere close to that with owners, by the way. That uh, that's and that's the other thing. Yeah,
1: they're gonna they're gonna give up ten to fifteen home games of revenue.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm not letting people park less for $50 a, a spot right. than I have to.
1: You know, the, the crazy thing, and it, none of this is crazy because like you said, it's a battle between science and entertainment. And there's also ensuring your future. Can I tell you, this This stuff really starts in high school. In AAU. I have a buddy who's got a son who's you know, a pretty good prospect. And... I think he talks all the time about making sure there's not too much wear and tear on his kid, and then so then immediately, like, what happens with our generation, right, Candy? Oh, I, I could, I would play ten games in a day if I could. Well, when you think about it, you're kind of a moron for doing that, especially if you don't have your path set to college because you're taking a risk there. But the mindset, and I'm not saying it's a bad mindset, but the mindset about being smart about your health. And your long-term future, it starts when kids are 13, 14 years old.
3: And then take it to its logical conclusion, which is what we're seeing not only this particular year, but in the last couple of years. If someone makes it to the age of a college senior and is going into the draft, they are looked at with a scarlet letter on them. Akbaji from Kansas, going to be 22 years old. He's being marked down in draft circles because he's old. At 22, the same way Obi Toppin was coming out and going to the Knicks last year, 22 is considered old, so yeah, I am going to manage the miles on a 14-year-old knowing that his best chance of going pro is when he's 18 or 19.
0: Sign up for an A-play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. (laughs)
2: You, know, you just want to flush it. Nothing really good to say. We got what we deserved. I didn't think we gave ourselves a chance to win that game from the first period, the way the, the game started. It's disappointing, but, you know, we've played some pretty good hockey lately, and we've got to rebound here quickly. We knew we weren't going to win every game the rest of the way in, so we got to make sure we get this back on track on Saturday.
0: Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and company.
1: A very irked. Pete DeBoer, bad loss last night, 5-1, you know, basically a must-win spot. Knights now have 72 games played, 82 points. Nashville, we have an update on that score? What's going on in Nashville, Ottawa? Let's go score whizzes. What the hell's happening? Nashville tied 1-1, three minutes left in the second. Well, Nashville comes into tonight's game, 69 games played, so three less than the Knights. They've got 84 points, so more points. Toronto at Dallas, Dallas three games less, 83 points. Again, ahead of the Golden Knights. And then Edmonton and L.A. are playing tonight at 730. Both have more points than the Knights, and they're about the same in terms of games played. But Edmonton has 87 points. L.A.'s got 86. Knights at 82. And, and Candy, you just mentioned, let me get this straight, there were $19 tickets for the game last night.
3: That is information I got second-hand from another reporter in the press box, but someone who tracks it pretty closely told me that. So I'm not all that surprised considering anecdotally what you and I have both heard from people who have been selling season tickets this year.
1: We spoke with Eric Harper, the AD of UNLV, about two hours ago. UNLV had to monitor the market the last couple years and see it's an uphill battle. You know, you can't charge $88, you know, with the fees – To sit in the lower level at the Thomas and Mack when the when the um, Rebels aren't playing at the highest level, you're not gonna you're not gonna get a crowd that way, right? So their crowd their crowd has dwindled to around four or five thousand. Season ticket base has gone down. Well, they made changes, so they slashed their uh, season ticket prices. Uh, You can sit downstairs now for three oh five a ticket. It's basically about twenty bucks a game, so that's good. Upstairs. Ticket packages as low as uh, like $98 for the entire season. If you have tickets upstairs, existing season tickets, you can move downstairs for a nominal fee. They've moved on this, right? The market has changed. There's only so uh, there's there's only so much disposable income, right? We can only go to so many games and afford it you know, when you roll in all the minor league sports as well. So that's why you and I have been talking about the A's coming here and how interesting this is as they continue to slash, slash, slash and have a substandard product and they're using us as a pawn to put pressure on Oakland. Well, meanwhile, in the Oakland area, it seems like there are plenty of people who are ready to bust the chops of the A's. And Libby Schaff was on a local news broadcast today. She's the mayor of Oakland, and she was talking about this latest wave, this latest challenge for the A's, which is, you know, some environmental studies. The claim is that you're know, putting a stadium there <laughs> Maybe it would hurt the environment. I don't know. We had Justin Watkins on yesterday. He said, comparatively to what is there now, it's kind of a joke if they do it the right way. But here's Libby Schaff on Oakland and the need to pass the environmental test. And then somehow she gets in a shot at Vegas.
5: It's going to be more complicated. And you've got to be much more environmentally focused when you are developing on the precious California coastline than in the gross desert of Las Vegas.
1: All right. Well, now what? No, Big Lib. What's, what's What's the point? I'm not. I'm not going to get into the screaming and yelling and you know denigrating Oakland. I actually I don't really know enough about Oakland to sit here and, and give a voice to say it's crap. I, I don't know. Candy probably knows better. But I will say, she's getting a little caught up in this whole thing. Now here's the thing: the A's have been playing games with Oakland by using us as a pawn and saying there. You know, every other week they're putting down a bid on land here. I mean, I'd be a little annoyed as well, but there's no there's no reason, Libby, to lash out at us.
3: You know, there are some spots along the coastline near Oakland that are nice to look at. Right. There used to be a beautiful view of the Oakland Hills from the Coliseum before Mount Davis was erected to bring sure. the Raiders back sure. all those years ago. And now, not only does it look like a mausoleum at the top but it obviously has sewage flowing in at the bottom but we won't go there for any of that let's just talk precious california coastline against gross vegas desert i don't want to talk about vegas you all live here you know what it looks like you have your own opinions have you ever been to the coliseum have you ever gotten off at the bart stop at the coliseum have you ever walked the neighborhood near the coliseum okay but we're not talking about the Coliseum, right? We're talking about Jack London area. We're talking about building down uh, by the water. It's a port shipping area. Right. That's the other part of the concern that's going on right now is the impact on shipping. Right. We're not talking about the precious California coastline. That's, that was,
1: that's the funny part is, uh, <laughs> listen, where you grew up, the Hudson, there, there are beautiful areas of the Hudson. Um, it would be like someone in Philadelphia getting after Vegas and talking about the, you know, the precious waterfront of Philadelphia. Like it's not, and Ari's kind of from Philadelphia. It, it's not, there's water there, the Delaware, it's not that precious. So that's what I thought of too. I'm like, it's a port area. It's kind of industrialized already. And, and when, and when Justin Watkins came on yesterday, who's a former public servant, he's like, seriously, with the environmental study saying that a port area, a trucking area, you're worried about na- now you're worried about the environment that a stadium is going to
3: bring. I, listen, I've I've taken the ferry across from San Francisco and come into that area in Oakland. You ain't missing anything in that particular area. There is natural beauty to be found in the East Bay, plenty of it. But what she's talking about right now, about where we're talking about building that stadium, that ain't it.
1: All right, give me cut one again. Let, let's hear take the shot at Vegas and Nevada one more time talking about the precious coastline and the gross desert
5: it's going to be more complicated and you've got to be much more environmentally focused when you are developing on the precious california coastline than in the gross desert of las vegas
1: Hmm, okay now i want you to listen to the follow-up because i gotta tell you not only is the mayor of oakland on the griddle for taking shots at vegas but What's with the two jabroni news anchors kind of laughing and giggling?
5: Yes, it's more complicated, and it's totally worth it.
1: <laughs> I saw right. that shade. Uh-huh. It was slipped in there real quick. But Okay, we got it. We got it. Uh,
5: yeah.
1: Yeah, we got it, too. We got it, too. You're on the hit list. You're on the Cofield and Company hit list. We don't let anyone! Badmouth Las Vegas. Now, of course, I'm kidding. Because I, I will admit, there are... There are gross parts of the desert. Not all of it is beautiful. And it can be kind of windy and dusty here. But uh, yes, your precious port area versus the land at the Tropicana. Let's not act like one is so much better than the other.
3: No, let's not act that way. And you know who else needs defending <laughs> well, right not, now? Let's not act that you way. You know who else needs defending right now? Who? Mojave Max, our desert tortoise. Our Wait. environmental gem our animal to protect you want to do an environmental study about protecting the precious california coastline talk about our desert tortoise or you know what don't keep your name out of his mouth
1: can we also deal with the other elephant in the room which i guess is pun intended since uh, isn't one of their old logos the elephant um Stop her. I'm, I'm taking a deep breath but what they've done with their team and their roster the last couple of weeks come on do you believe if if we step up in some no. sort of public private no. partnership no. that the I owners me. The, the owners of the A's are going to start operating no. like
3: 150 200 million dollar owners no. in terms of the payroll absolutely not no no. Fisher is worth more than $2 billion, and he is operating his team on a $33 million payroll. Do you know what they did at the Coliseum this year? They doubled ticket prices. They doubled the ticket prices in Oakland. They're pocketing more money from the people in Oakland. You know what the, the hashtag campaign was when the Raiders left? Rooted in Oakland. Well, the roots are getting pulled up if you listen to what... Cable and Fisher are talking about right now, and they're bringing a lot of crap with them. Do you think they're doing it on purpose? I don't know if this franchise has any idea what it's doing at this point, quite honestly. what you want, Do you want to make everybody mad? Is that, that's pretty much what they've accomplished right now. You're making everybody mad. You're making your fans mad by jacking up the prices and getting rid of your players. You're making the city mad, and now... You're making Cofield Candy mad.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents...
2: Hey, hold on, hold up, Grab
0: Bag.
2: Don't touch it. Don't even look at it.
0: Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, how's this,
4: how's this Stick your hand in there, Dave.
1: Closing things out here on this Thursday... Silver 7s, happy hour wrapping up. It's every day, 3 o'clock, 277 on the drinks. So come on out. Candy, I wanted you to follow up for one second on something you were mentioning around, I don't know, about 4.15. You went back to a comment that Marcus Arroyo made after the loss to Eastern Washington Open last season. And he had mentioned moral victory, and a lot of people got huffy and puffy over it. You said you would change your mind about that comment based on what
3: so i was one of the people who got a little huffy about that because i thought that you know you, you can't even use the word moral victory when you're talking about losing to a team like eastern washington But the more i've listened to arroyo talk the more i've and this isn't meant to be a, a dig this is actually meant to be something to defend the moral victory comment a little bit there are some weird terms of phrase. There are some words that aren't necessarily in the right spot. He meant to say uh, earlier when you when you had that interview with him. He meant to talk about decimating the roster, and he said disseminating the roster, right? Yeah, it, it, whatever. I just screwed up two words talking about Libby Schaaf uh, a minute ago. These things happen. I just wonder the more. I listen to him if maybe there's just a general on like lack of comfort talking to the media that maybe leads to you know some of these turns of phrase that aren't quite as articulate as you would hope they would be
1: he does go 100 miles an hour so that's one thing in covering him you know up close he goes he goes fast um see i thought you were going to turn the moral victory thing into um kind of a a better understanding of his attitude when it comes to winning which with this roster there were a lot of guys who played a lot last year and i think they've been sent the message that that doesn't mean a whole lot you know when you go two and ten and you have six games that are really close like I'm speaking as a coach, you know, or if you are part of the program, like, we have to get better. So, and, and I have no idea if that led to Steve Jenkins saying, you know, I might be out of here going to the transfer portal. But uh, Arroyo has said it repeatedly, like, even with the quarterbacks. And I, the quarterbacks weren't going to say a whole lot when we talked to them last week. But there's a general attitude, like, yeah, there were some good things about Doug Brumfield and good things about Cameron Friel, but in the end, they didn't win enough games, and everyone can get better, and that whole, you know, iron sharpens iron, you do need competition, and beyond competition, you got to have depth, and the positions we talked about a lot this spring are quarterback and wide receiver, and for both of those positions last year, it became a nightmare at different points in terms of depth.
3: And I think Marcus Arroyo understands something that a lot of coaches are coming to understand in the transfer portal era, There's no longer the grace period of they're not my kids, right? You used to have that with college coaches where the first year, second year, you would come in and say, well, they're not my recruits. So if you don't win, you're okay. Big deal. It's not my kids. Well, when you get your kids in here, well, you know what? Look at Kevin Kruger's team last year. Kevin Kruger brought in nearly 95% of that roster new to the program last year they were his kids and the same way it's happening in football it's happening in basketball the grace period for coaches based on they're not my kids is ending and so if marcus arroyo is going to put more focus on no 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 it's great that we won a couple of more games than we did the year before we still won two games and we got to win right now It's not just about improving the program it's about pro- protecting his job as well
1: well uh Probably play some more of the conversations we had today around UNLV football practice. Uh, Kyle Beaudry a local kid. He's a linebacker. We got to talk to him. Kyle played last year, but, I mean, it was like, you know, Arroyo always talks about getting the fire hose. you kind of learning. And all of a sudden, like, you have to learn really quickly. Beaudry really wasn't playing at all until Ajake went down with a broken arm or wrist. And then he played pretty well down the stretch. But I was really impressed today by Beaudry. He was talking about the linebacking core. So Kay's back, Winman's off to Michigan State, but they brought in a Juco who's got to be a plug-and-play consideration in Fred Tompkins. They have another uh, linebacker in Jordan Eubanks who was a Florida State guy who, who just came in, and I noticed Beaudry's like, hey, I know I have more responsibility now whether I'm a starter or a backup. I was like, okay, interesting. Because after his experience last year, you'd, you'd figure, hey, I'm a starter. But I think everyone realizes looking around that everyone can get better and there is going to be competition, and that's a good thing.
3: So you and I could spend a lot of time on this topic, and we only have a couple of minutes here, but I want to ask you this question. Right now, Kevin Kruger's team is closer to a postseason bid, or Marcus Arroyo's team is closer to being bowl eligible?
1: Right now? Like on this day? Yeah, Yeah. today. I think people will be shocked, maybe mad. Arroyo. I agree. I mean, Kruger has – he's got to do all his work coming up. They have to to pull guys out of the portal and put together – another team here there's a lot of work to be done now they're involved with I'm sure you know 10 plus if not 20 plus players but I don't know what they're going to have next year I have no idea
3: I'm with you yeah look if you just are going to be objective and look and say two win team that had all of those one score losses the same way we talk about the Raiders and the fact that the Raiders are likely to regress because they went six and one in one score games you can look at UNLV and talk about the opposite and if you get any sort of consistent quarterback play I don't care if it's Brumfield or Bailey any sort of consistent quarterback play this team is probably a lot closer to at least being a four-win team and maybe you ride the variance to six and bowl eligibility
1: and let's not minimize what we just watched with the college basketball team in conference we all got to watch a guy score 24 points a game that is a unicorn now In college basketball, Bryce Hamilton is not replaced by one person or even two. They have to hit some home runs and they, they, you know, they're, they're on some pretty interesting players in the transfer portal. Thanks to Silver Sevens for having us out here. We'll see you tomorrow at LV Ballpark.